Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am Paul, combat veteran, MMA fighter, and YouTuber. And today, this is of course going to be covering the biggest news story in the military and defense world, and maybe the biggest news story in the world, full stop, uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Now, if you have come to my live streams on Twitch, twitch.tv slash combatvetpaul, you know all week I've been doing real-time breakdowns of the events. And you know, I've tried to fill in the niche between the uh, strategic level, the geopolitical level that almost every YouTuber has talked about, uh, and the individual experiences of soldiers and civilians uh, living through this in Ukraine. So what I try to do is fill in the gaps for you guys as far as the tactical scaffolding, the situation, the objectives that Ukrainian and Russian military forces might be achieving. And I'm not going to rehash the things I've already covered on the Twitch stream, but if you want to check it out, Combat Veteran Clips, I have the full uh, streams up there where I break down everything. I break down Russia's uh, likely invasion plan that I'm going to say seemed to be pretty spot on. And the uh, Ukrainian defense response would appear to be their strategy. But in this podcast, I want to break down some of the other, uh, well, tactics. We're going to go down to the tactical level that the Ukrainians appear to be using, that they could use in the future, and that would likely be highly, highly effective, right? Uh, so let's talk a little bit about it. There's been a lot of viral advice going around Reddit uh, with tips for the Ukrainian uh, armed forces. One thing I'm going to say is Ukrainian armed forces are not amateurs. Um, and I mean that in the most complimentary way, right? The most European nations have not had a military deployment of their armed forces in many decades, right? The only ones I can think of are the UK, uh, France, uh, in Mali, and and I think the car. Um, and you also have Poland, who supported the US efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, and I believe some other Eastern European nations. But who may have had tiny contingents deployed to support the U.S. efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan. But Ukraine, in contrast, is has had an active war zone and have had large portions of their country actually contested uh, by Russian-backed separatists. So there has been an ongoing war since 2014, and it has forced their military to uh, evolve and professionalize in response to this conflict, which, uh, while it has ebbed and flowed, certainly, in the early days of 2014, 15, and 16, did feature a lot of mechanized infantry, Russian aircraft, and still has likely Russian artillery and special forces units in that conflict. So the Ukrainian military is professionalized, largely professionalized, uh, despite its sort of wonky structure where it has things like the Azov Battalion. Um, a But even Azov has gone from a private militia of sorts that's loosely state-affiliated to a proper uh, battalion within the Ukraine National Guard. So a big reform, you know, and, and a testament to the fact that Ukraine knows what's going on. And so I am not going to sit there and from across the world uh, give 
specific advice to the Ukraine military, right? If I wanted to help, uh, I guess I could go down there and volunteer. <laughs> They've said they're taking foreign volunteers. Of course, my wife would immediately divorce me, uh, and I don't speak a word of Ukrainian. So let's take a look at the first piece of viral advice that's kind of gone around. We'll, we'll pull this up here. Saw this off of Reddit. This, there we go. This is a uh, post by someone who claims they were a former U.S. Marine. For the defenders of Kiev, here are a few tips. One, stay out of the street. The worst place to be in urban warfare is to be outside. Uh, this is, uh, I'm going to say largely true. I think he's, there we go. I think he's, this is correct. Um, if you're the defender, if you're on offense, you have no choice. You got to be outside. But yeah, being outside, generally bad, right? Because in buildings, people in buildings can see out, but you cannot see in. This is this is the apartment, you know, the apartment dwellers conundrum, right? <clears throat> okay, they immediately skip two and three and go straight to four, which the top comment said, this is how you know this person is a Marine because they are unable to count to three. Uh, four, doors are called the fatal funnel. It's human nature to try to enter through a door. Aim all your weapons at the door to maximize the number of kills. Uh, he means casualties. That's doctrinally the term. Uh, is the door always the fatal funnel? Should you arm place all weapons at the door? Uh, no. Well, you should only do that if you have barricaded other main weapons means of entry so you should uh plywood and then sandbag all your windows um if you can at the very least you should draw the curtains so the enemy cannot look in but yeah you should try to take some steps to prevent the enemy from entering through windows because they can and will breach through windows um your best bet is to probably set firing positions yes a door is a, is, is probably your best um, based on what I've seen, the Russian conscripts likely have virtually no training in uh, urban operations. And so if they're ordered to clear a building, they will probably be clearing it the way you would look in your house uh, for your Xbox controller. Uh, so that means entering through the door. So I'm going to call this advice good. I'm going to give the point for a thumbs up, right? Uh, just I would say don't aim all your weapons. Aim your largest, most casually producing weapon at the door All right then it says block the door from the inside with anything you can furniture chairs booby traps explosives the idea is to make the invaders think the door isn't blocked that way when they try to enter they remain exposed for the longest amount of time possible okay so what i think he's saying is that what you would want to do is if the enemy is is going to try to enter and clear the building that you are in you want them to try to barge in through the front door only to find that the door is locked and that you want to establish what's called a field of fire overlooking the door. This is actually hard to do. Think about it. Where in your house would you be able to get eyes on your door, right? Or if you're in an apartment building, it's actually really hard. Where you would want is actually to have a position in a neighboring building watch your entrance and you have one of your positions watch your neighboring building's entrance or of course you can just really really annoy them and block everything uh block all entryways so that they the enemy has no choice but to sit outside in your designated kill zone 
right? The problem, of course, with blocking these sort of entryways in is that you are you are fenced in as much as they are fenced out. So I'm gonna say this is this is not this should not be number five um, because it is not universally applicable. It is applicable to a very specific type of situation. Um, and I, I would not universally adopt this as true. What I will say, though, is to create a extremely dangerous, dangerous kill zones throughout the urban area where you are. Alleyways, uh, windows, um, anything you can think of. And using not just your firearm, but booby traps, explosives, blockades, right, to canalize your enemy and force them to go in the directions that you want to. A good example would be to um, create a kill zone and block off all other areas of cover or concealment except for, let's say, one alley or behind a dumpster. Um, and then you place a booby trap behind that dumpster or in that alleyway so that when the enemy panics and dives for cover, they encounter a booby trap situation. Or you use obstacles to canalize them to force the enemy to go into your kill zone, right? This is all what's called terrain analysis. And the truth is, if there were a way to to get it down to six simple principles, um, then you wouldn't need, uh, you know, so many leaders in the military. You wouldn't need squad leaders, lieutenants, uh, captains to look at an individual specific situation, ask what is the enemy composition? What is my uh, composition, you know, what is my composition? What do I have? And what is my objective, right? Because it's possible the objective, you know, none of these things will work against an armored column, for example, right? But let's continue. Uh, number six, stairways are another good kill zone. Yes, yes. Uh, block stairways with any obstacles you can to slow down invaders. Um, yeah, this is not a bad idea. Uh, stairways are great places to in place uh, fixed fighting positions, especially the tops of stairways. Um, now, you can also, yeah, anything you can do to impede the enemy's ability to get upstairs is going to be solid. It, it, the harder you make it for them to reach your position, the better off you will likely be, especially if you are able to do things like roll grenades down uh, stairs. Um, you can deploy concertina wire along stairs, right? There's a lot of ways to make things, uh, make climbing stairs a lot more difficult, getting to the second and third floor. So it can be beneficial. Again, it's not decisive. And remember, if you don't, if you block the stairways, you've blocked your egress as well. Okay, seven, if you throw grenades downstairs, have your magazine fully topped off and ready. The invaders will most likely run up the stairs to run past the grenade blast this is not the case uh this is just this is just incorrect where again we talk about this earlier where if you you can canalize the enemy and leave them with very few good choices but i will tell you is that very few people will go upstairs to avoid a grenade blast that actually sounds like something you would do in tarkov right where you push uh, instead, where the enemy will likely go is back. They will re egress. They will yell grenade, and then they will run back the way they came. Uh, if that is your goal, is if the only way back out is back into another kill zone, then all the better for you. That's a great way to, again, use your fire to force the enemy to remain in vulnerable kill zones. 
but but the idea that you should have your full mag or whatever, that sounds literally like something he took out of Tarkov. All right, when possible, cut small holes in the floor into the rooms to fire below to rooms below to fire into. That's questionable grammar. People breaching rooms will usually look for threats directly in front of them and usually don't look above or below until last. Uh, this is true. Uh, insurgents in Iraq and Fallujah would routinely uh, roll grenades into rooms that they uh, cut you know, small holes in, oftentimes after the room was declared clear or as the uh, U.S. forces were entering. And it's a really easy and uh, can be a very effective tactic because they don't see the attacker. They have no chance to fire back because they don't they they don't see you, right? They only see the grenade roll down the hole. This is also something that can be done as a booby trap, right? A booby trap meant to, for example, um, pull the pin on a grenade when an enemy enters a room. Uh, all right. Hit nine, don't sling your weapon around your body. If things go hand to hand, it will hinder you. Uh, I'm gonna say no. They're thinking what they're thinking of is is you can't use your weapon as a club with it slung, uh, which is sort of true. And if your weapon runs out of ammunition and the enemies runs out of ammunition, um, you sh- it, that's probably time to leave, right? You don't want to put yourself into that close quarters of a situation he and whether or not you've slung your slinging your weapon is a good call because the enemy won't be able to get it from you right and if the enemy can disarm you then all they need to do is get some distance or a friend and then they can shoot you uh it says have a knife spade or club close by and readily available if you have to fight hand to hand it's much more handy than a rifle um i'm gonna say that's probably true uh yeah i'm gonna say that's that's almost certainly true um, even a, a heavy rifle can be used as a club if it's empty. Uh, but you know, AKs. So the reason that they tell you not to do that with your M4 is because it's very lightweight and it has a collapsible plastic stock. That's not very reliable. In contrast, AK, uh, older AKs with wooden stocks and metal butt plates, uh, those things are MFers. You can beat a man to death with that easily. You could probably beat a man to death with an old school AK steel mag, but that's beside the point. The point is, yeah, you're never worse off by having something like a spade, a club, or a knife um, if things get a little hand-to-hand, but I think that's a throwback from World War II when you were having bolt-action rifles and just much longer firearms. Nowadays, magazines are greater, and you can deliver that second, third, fourth, or 29th round much quicker than you could in the old days of bolt-action weapons. Okay, never fi- 11, never fire from the same window twice. Yes, great advice if you are outnumbered and you are uh, a defender, right? And this is because, of course, the enemy is going to be able to see the muzzle flash. They are, might see glass breaking, and they can identify you and put return fire. In, into your position so you want to get moving as fast as possible right but i wouldn't say never if you have sandbags if you're sufficiently dug in if the targets don't appear to have located you you can probably fire several shots from those windows depending on how well you've defended the position right 
Uh, never stick the muzzle of your rifle outside a window. Don't expose it. And it's 13 is a corollary. Shoot from deep inside the room of the window. It'll help hide the flash and reduce the noise, making it hard to tell where it came from. Yes, this is true. This is actually something that uh, U.S. military marksmen, snipers are trained to do. And that is to sit deep in a room um, once they have their field of fire, right? While being deep in a room does preclude some of your field of vision, uh, usually you're going to want to have a specific area that you are targeting, right? That you know that you're going to be hitting the enemy when they do this or that or the other thing. So you're going to, it's going to be okay that you lose some field of vision. Also, because snipers operate in two man teams, they, they will usually have someone else who's responsible for the larger field of vision. Um, I, so I think that is still pretty sound advice. Okay, so overall, again, the, the, is this person a U.S. Marine? Yeah, certainly, right? Only only a Marine would write this much and not check to make sure they actually counted to 13 properly. But one of the things that I will say is, again, the Ukrainian military is very organized they have been trained extensively by the actual u.s military uh the level of military assistance given to ukraine by the united states is actually pretty phenomenal it's pretty huge so the idea that uh that there's this big need of advice is probably i would guess and say incorrect um if it obviously if if you're a ukrainian and you know anything going on with like the territorial defense battalions if you think there's a need for more training or more information um please let me show up in the comments man um i'd be happy to hear from you and i would be happy to know if there were other topics you guys wanted covered um other than that yeah what would i say I mean, I think Ukraine seems to be doing all the right things. They're doing everything they can to make sure that the um, Russian military's advantages in air power and mechanized forces, tanks and armored vehicles, are mitigated by keeping and confining the fight to suburbs and urban centers. By doing that, of course, you're making the armored blitz tactic uh, just that much more ineffective. Uh, the other thing that I believe they seem to be doing, um, but I think they could do more of, is disrupting Russian supply lines. I'm actually surprised that they don't have armed civilians engaging in these sort of disruptions. Because right now, if you look at the footage of Russia invading, that they have a very conventional World War II uh, frontline style of fighting mentality, where there are certain zones where fighting is taking place and security posture is very high. And then there's a lot of zones where they're treated as the rear areas where the threat is zero. Uh, there was recently a satellite picture of a three-mile-long supply convoy with nothing but fuel, uh, or presumably nothing but fuel and food and bullets and stuff. Uh, no, no defensive vehicles of any kind anywhere in this convoy, completely and utterly exposed. Uh, why, again, you would, not you would think, um, it, with more organization, right, a, a even with pretty low effort, um, i.e. a hunting rifle, for example, or a uh, simple, you know, Molotov cocktail, uh, Ukraine civilians could easily do considerable, if not considerable damage and significantly delay these convoys, again, because they're on very, very narrow roads. So it's very curious to see this sort of... of um, 
frontline rear area behavior. I can tell you that from personal experience, if you create a pervasive environment in which a threat is persistent constantly, whenever you leave a secured base, there is a threat. The amount of logistical workload that a military has to go through to counter those threats is massive, massive. Remember, the entire U.S. military in Afghanistan, right, it was so intensive because every single convoy, logistics convoys, road route clearance, uh, key leader engagements, whatever your mission was, governance, um, you had to have a full military protective convoy. 16 people, at least four vehicles, uh, every single person in that vehicle who was a military member or licensed authorized contractor had to be armed, right? You had to have a certain uh, minimum weapon capability. You know, you had to have at least four crew served weapons. And these regulations applied across the entire country. And so it meant that the U.S. actually ran out of a dismounted infantry, right? It, it, it simply had to retask cav scouts, artillery, um, you know, military police, everyone was functionally an infantry unit, right? And that's because that's how, that's how intensive it is when you have a constant threat environment. So if Ukraine's uh, territorial defense battalions or their civilians were able to create this uh, threat, and it wouldn't have to be significant, it would only have to be significant enough that Russia's Russian forces would have to change their posture in response to it. So this would be like, you know, give it, consistently putting them under sniper fire and occasionally wounding somebody. That's probably enough, right, to get them to change their security posture. Uh, if you were to disable one or two convoy, convoy trucks with a Molotov cocktail, right, or a flat tire, or just a big stinking hole in the road, right, Sounds crazy, but uh, just a big friggin' hole might actually be enough. If you can stop them and create this sense of pervasive threat, it's going to cost them so much more logistically to achieve anything, right? Because they're going to have to divert more and more of their combat power to doing things like ensuring the roads aren't mined, ensuring that their convoys can respond to attacks, um, you know, sometimes even like in the Soviet Afghan war, they actually would have to have helicopters. They would divert combat air assets to clearing roads, driving up and down main supply routes to ensure that they were clear. That is an insane diversion of combat power. Imagine if even a third or a few dozen of Russia's, uh, attack helicopters instead of hitting Ukrainian forces had to go sweep up and down roads looking for people with hunting rifles or uh, funny looking beer bottles, right? The potentials, the potential and return on low concept, sometimes even low effectiveness military operations cannot be overstated in my experience as a general principle. Again, for a small country that is facing an invasion by the second or third largest military in the world, Ukraine, by all accounts, is acquitting itself very, very well. Their armed forces are definitely showing that at least some armed force uh, has really appreciated U.S. training and equipment. Uh, it's sort of hilarious, again, when you compare it to the Afghan forces that were so comically uh, under-equipped, under 
they were perfectly well equipped, but just undertrained and undercapable. Uh, you see, with just a fraction of the support, the Ukraine military is able to go toe to toe with Russia, one of the most powerful militaries in the world. Anyway, guys, thanks for joining me on this special episode of the podcast. If there's other Ukraine-related topics you want me to cover, let me know in the comments. But more importantly, come join me on Twitch where I do these breakdowns uh, at least as long as my psyche can permit it. At some point, there's only so much war images that I want to view before I start getting all bummed out. Um, so anyway, guys, thanks for joining me. And if you also, if you have guests you want to see on the podcast, Matt, let me know because I am currently booking guests. Um, so next month should be a good one. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. I'll see you later.